what is going on everybody another night the bills were really busy Well, it's been kind of slow but they were really busy for the last couple weeks and we got our man we consider an expert in the building matt perino with us how you doing matt what's up guys man thanks for having me yeah hopefully everybody is safe and sound out there uh as we uh, continue to deal with this pandemic. But we're going to give you guys some stay-at-home content because we want you guys at home and in your seats and watching us. So let's talk some bills. Matt, big week, big week, big two weeks. Yeah, man, it all started last week. I mean, I, I feel like Bill's Mafia is still buzzing uh, about Mr. Stefan Diggs. Uh, it's a whole new world uh, for not only Bill's fans, but for Josh Allen. I mean, it's going to be... You know, no excuses. All the training wheels are going to be t taken off in 2020. And, you know, really the the options for this offense now with still the draft to come um, to add some more uh, potential playmakers is, is really intriguing. I think that, you know, I, I think I shared an article tonight on social media where I saw that, uh, you know, the, the Bills are one of the best kind of hottest Super Bowl bets to make because uh, they're, they're just – long shots enough to make it worth it, but a team that really is going to be a contender. I mean, when's the last time you could say that about a Bills football team? So it's an exciting time. Clayton. Yeah, yeah it's been a, it's been a real long time. Not, not in my lifetime, that is. But, you know, you talk about Stephon Diggs being plugged into this offense with a mixture of John Brown, Cole Beasley, Dawson Knox, and Devin Singletary. What part of his skill set do you think will benefit Josh Allen in this offense the most? I think it's going to be twofold. Like what I really liked about John Brown last year is what he kind of um, brought in the short to intermediate game. I mean, if you remember before uh, when the Bills signed John Brown, the big talking point was, you know, John Brown's going to blow things up down the field with Josh Allen's super arm and they're going to be connecting on 50, 60, 70 yard bombs on the field. But it was really in that 15 to 20 yard range where John Brown showed um, the extent of his skill set as a route runner. I think with Diggs, it's it's twofold. Number one, I think he really is that deep threat. You see some of the connections that he made with Kirk Cousins in that offense. I think that they're going to really be able to unlock some things with Josh Allen on the deep ball. But then it's just the immediateness and the suddenness of what he does at the line of scrimmage. He gives his quarterback um, an, an option right off the jump. You know, you say hike. You get the ball in Stefan Diggs' hands, and he can make things happen after the catch. And that's super exciting for, you know, Josh Allen, who, you know, I think he had that at times in Duke Williams, who was a really cool story last year and the physicality that he brought to the offense. But Stefan Diggs is a completely different caliber of player. We're talking about an elite top 10 receiver in the, in the league and somebody that I even have been surprised about as I've been looking at some film. He really seeks out contact. He's not afraid to – you know, mix it up with defenders, and he's going to go at cornerbacks. It's going to be fun to watch him and what he can do uh, with Josh Allen and the rest of these skilled players on the, on the Bills' offense. And, you know, in speaking of his 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 ability at the line, it seemed like the only person that we had last year that could really make those gadget and scattering type of plays was Isaiah McKenzie, who we, another guy we literally just resigned this week. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We could possibly see now where those jet sweeps that we had Isaiah McKenzie, we pretty much kept them on the team. For, for that jet sweep, let's be honest about it. Right. We can see Stefan Diggs coming there and taking those snaps essentially now. That's how versatile he is. Yeah, definitely. And I think that the the depth of his game and, you know, you look at a guy like Robert Foster, who's also going to maybe potentially compete for a roster spot in year three. He's a guy that can kind of do some of that as well. 
And depending on who the Bills want to use on special teams, I know Robert Foster really, uh, you know, carved out a niche for himself as a gunner last year. Uh, they brought in Taiwan Jones, who could be, you know, maybe that replacement. We'll see. But, you know, the, the intensity at the bottom of that depth chart at wide receiver in terms of, you know, training camp battles, if we have a training camp, is going to be absolutely uh, exciting to watch and something that, you know, it's gravy. And and who knows? I mean, I've been seeing a lot of mock drafts where LaVisca Chenault's on the board at 54, which could completely throw this thing on its head if, if the Bills took him uh, in the draft. Yeah, you kind of touched on how adding Brown can add, add a dynamic to the downfield passing attack for Josh Allen hitting longer passes. But he really th- flourished in the intermediate game last year, and that's really an area where I feel like John Brown – excuse me, not John Brown, but Stephon Diggs could really enhance this offense, could really open it up for everybody, for Cole Beasley in the slot, for John Brown on the opposite boundary. Do you think this is a move that will definitely benefit John Brown specifically? Yes, because if you look at where John Brown had, you know, his best season before he joined the Bills, it was in Arizona and he was running with Larry Fitzgerald. I've maintained that John Brown, while he can be a wide receiver one in this league, he proved that no doubt last year, he becomes an elite number two if he gets a kind of a a running mate, a, a number one, a bona fide number one that can kind of do everything. John Brown's not a physical player. He's kind of smaller. And although Stefan Diggs is six foot, uh, you know, 200 pounds, 190, he plays more physical than that. And so I think that they do different things. They'll, they'll be a little bit uh, in different flavors. And now, who, if you're a defensive secondary, what do you do? I mean, how do you eliminate Stefan Diggs, John Brown, and Cole Beasley, and Dawson Knox, and potentially even Tyler Croft if, you know, what the Bills did in restructuring his deal and guaranteeing it for this season – is they still see him as that tight end number two option. I don't think we ever really saw a healthy Tyler Croft last year until the later part of the year. If he gets a full camp and a full preseason to get himself right and he's okay, like that could be intriguing as well. What can he do in this offense? So, yeah, I think that, man, defenses are going to have a tough time figuring out who they want to try to stop. No, and you know, and I'm happy you brought up Dawson Knox because, like I said, I thought this was a kid who – for as limited work that he got at Ole Miss between A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf, totally understanding why his work was limited, especially seeing the way those guys played in their rookie seasons. I thought he, he performed outstanding last year in his rookie year, and, he, and especially as he got more comfortable as the year went on. He could be a major threat this year. 100%, man. I mean, he, I think he's just scratching the surface. I think that, you know, you come into the league and you're you're kind of trying to – figure things out on the fly and and learn and understand things as quickly as possible. And he popped really quick. And he, after a suffering, a setback, he was injured during training camp, which for a lot of rookies, that could have been a real uh, downer, you know, it, starting things off. And, you know, Tommy Sweeney kind of almost moved past him on the depth chart. When he got back, they threw him back out there and he performed. The one thing I will say about Dawson Knox is, He's got to fix the drops. I mean, I know that that's an easy cliche thing to say, but 10 drops last season, that's something where you go to what Sean McDermott said right after the season ended and what he wanted for the 2020 team in terms of playmakers. And he said he wanted to get guys and bring guys in or have guys on the roster that Josh Allen can trust. And if you're dropping the ball at that kind of pace, you 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 limit yourself in terms of being a trustworthy target for your quarterback. So if Dawson Knox can kind of, take that next step in year two. And he's a raw player. You mentioned he didn't get a lot of reps at Ole Miss. So everything that he was doing last year 
was new, being the guy, being tight end number one who was actually getting targets. So I think I think the expectation should be should be that he takes a step in year two. Well, we're talking about him emerging as a tight end threat and being a dominant threat at that. You look at players like Zach Ertz and George Kittle, players who weren't really the focal points of their offense, and players who also weren't first-round picks. I mean, I, I believe Ertz was a second-round pick, and then Kittle was a fifth-round pick in his own right. And you look at Dawson Knox and the kind of flashes he showed. He didn't have the, the production that they had in the rookie years by any means, but he certainly, certainly showed the, the flashes to show the potential to be one of those upper echelon tight ends. Do you think – by the end of 2020, we're talking about tight uh, Dawson Knox being a tight end that really could be a Pro Bowl caliber player. I think the lack of um, aggression by the Bills and the free agent market at the position tells you what they think of Dawson Knox. They believe in him. Listen, I know the Greg Olson thing was a fun uh, little story that we had for uh, like a couple weeks, and I, it made total sense. I mean, they're very comfortable with him. Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have talked about how much they respect him and what he would bring to the room. But I think that that was just a one-off situation where they knew the kind of guy that he was and what he's done in this league. Okay, let's add that to the room, and he can only only help Dawson Knox. But the fact that they re-signed Croft and they haven't done anything else in free agency, and we'll, we'll wait and see what they do in the draft, but it, it tells me that they believe in Dawson Knox, and there's a lot to believe in, man. That Cincinnati game, when he made that – that angry run that the, uh, <laughs> the morning football raved yeah. about all week, dude. That's some serious next level, uh, you know, playmaking talent. And so they got to curate that, they got to develop that, and that, and they've done a good job at that. So I expect them to be better next year. No, definitely, definitely. Uh, and moving on from that, like I said, you know, I read an article of yours this week, and there was two things that stuck out. It was an article you wrote about realistic Bills prospects at pick fifty four. And right. two names stood out to me, Terrell Lewis, who we'll get to a little bit later, but the one name that stood out to me was LaVisca Chenault. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm really high on LaVisca Chenault as a pro player. There's obviously some injury history there from Colorado. But the thing is, what people have to realize is Brown and Beasley are both approaching 30. And after right. Beasley may be 30 already. But the mm-hmm. Rofer's 30, and after this year, the guarantees in their contracts are pretty much null and void. LaVisa Cachinoy right. could may possibly be a guy that we bring in at 54 that comes in and he's eased into a situation with between these three receivers where he's going to be your new number two down the line. Well, what's funny about Chenault is he does something that nobody else on this receiving core really does. I mean, and really, if you look across the NFL, not too many people have guys like him on their roster. Uh, he reminds me of, and this is a weird comp because – He's not fast like this, but he's almost like Tyreek Hill in the sense that you can do so many things with him. You know, Tyreek Hill is such a weapon because you got to account for him in every kind of way on an offense, whether it be jet sweeps, lining up in the backfield, which he's done at different times in his career, down the field, intermediate, short, quick, quick routes. LaVisca Chanel is a baller with the plane, with the, with the ball in his hands. And so that's the kind of guy that, I almost feel like LaVisca Chenault, my first thought was uh, back in January when I first put on his tape and was like, wow, because I don't watch a lot of college football yeah. during the year because I'm so uh, you know, locked into the Bills and NFL stuff. So when I got a, a chance to really dive into his tape, I was like, could you imagine him replacing McKenzie and being that kind of jet sweep, uh, you know, part-time running back slash quick hitter slot guy? Like there's so many possibilities. And and now we're at the place where this roster has been built so effectively by Brandon Bean and his staff that you can kind of, you know, 
have a couple luxury guys come in like that that can just add a whole new dimension and make your offense even that much more scary. And I think if you add a guy like Chanel, and I know a lot of people want that running back to uh, addressed in the draft, but at 54, if you say to me that Taylor's on the board and Chenault's on the board and, you know, whoever else, Dobbins, I don't know, man, call me crazy, but I kind of <laughs> like the idea of going Chenault who can run it and catch and run with it. So I, I don't know. I, I like LaVisca Chenault a lot. You know, you touched on it on the end of your point there. Really, they've put themselves in a position going into the draft where they can really draft anywhere. They can draft the best player available that'll fit to their fit to whatever they want, the a receiver that they want. But when you talk about LaVisca Chenault per, or specifically, you're talking about a player who's dealt with injuries, a player who whose route running is lacking a little bit, who could use a year to acclimate and not really be dependent upon in his first season. You know, take right. Day Jones and his and what he dealt with his rookie season alone. I mean, if you plug Chenault into this offense, how much of a role do you think he'd really play in 2020? Yeah, 30 to 40% of the snaps maybe. Okay. But you you look at some of the guys that, you know, really uh, changed the dynamic of things. And one guy in particular that I, you know, Sammy Watkins was a guy that was invisible for a lot of the regular season. And, you, you know, obviously Sammy Watkins, former fourth overall draft pick. That's a, you know, I still consider him, an, a, you know, a different caliber of player, uh, even though the results as the body of work hasn't been where, where you want it to be. He's still an elite level talent in my eyes, at least. And he proved in the playoffs. I mean, there was moments where, you know, he was the best receiver on the field, but he kind of hid for most of the season. He had the one big, big, big yeah. game early in the year. But my point is you have guys like this on your roster. You have the depth at the position that when you get to, you know, the playoffs and the big games, you know, some of these guys can step up and I could see LaVisca, a, a guy like that stepping up, you know, in a playoff game when you, you know, maybe they have a good game plan for Stefan Diggs and John Brown, but, Oh, how are we going to count for that guy too? So, you know, it's not a huge role, and and I get your point too. With, you know, you know, twenty twenty, the window is wide open right now. Who can come in and make an impact? Um, but I think they went out and did. That. They got their impact player in Stefan Diggs. That's basically their first round pick. So now, who is the most high ceiling upside guy that you can find at fifty four? You mentioned Terrell Lewis. That's a guy that I think certainly pops because you have three three of your top edge rushers right now: Jerry Hughes, Trent Murphy. And Mario Addison are all over 30. Mario Addison, I think, is going to turn 34 this season. So, yeah. uh, you know, getting younger at the edge spot is is something that I think they want to do. But if they don't go edge and there's a guy that is on the board that you think, man, that seems like a home run, that might also tell you what they what they believe they have in Daryl Johnson and Mike Love uh, going into next year. And Daryl Johnson is the name I keep telling people, please don't sleep on that name. And like I said, Mike Love was actually having a phenomenal camp last year before – before he got injured, phenomenal camp. But Daryl Johnson, you can't teach six seven, two hundred and sixty pounds at that at that um, position. And and even at that, like I said, I compared him to Jason Taylor, and not as a player because Jason Taylor's a Hall of Fame player. You don't want to you don't want to put that much pressure on the kid. But just the size and the length and the rushing ability, it, it's something that with Daryl, he's gonna end up getting better because he actually made this roster last year and played meaningful time. 100%. And everything that he did last year, like I was mentioning with Dawson Knox, is something that he's going to be able to build on going forward. And, you know, that's the kind of guy that people don't understand this. Like, and I didn't even understand it before I started covering the league as a, 
as just a fan. Like I, I obviously covered the UFC before this, but never really was, you know, behind the scenes of the NFL. And one thing that I've learned in these two years is the jump that a guy could take from year one to year two is possible because of the elongated time that they have to work on their craft from December to really like early May prospects don't really get to, you know, work on themselves as a football player. They're working on themselves. They're 40 times their, you know, their shuttles, like how they're going to perform for scouts, this and that they're not figure, think even thinking about from a football perspective, how do I have to become a better player? So this entire off season, from after, right after the Houston game ended, maybe a week after the Houston game ended, you know, Daryl Johnson was given a specific offseason menu that he has to work on and add to his game. And I think that, you know, even if it's not this year, you know, that's a former seventh round pick now, we could be talking about him as a real factor going into 2021 as he goes through another season and gets another whole offseason. You know, it's people, these guys are always developing. And that's why I laugh too at the guy, at the people that say, you know, Josh Allen is going to be Josh Allen who came in the league is going to be the same guy that's going into year three. I'm sorry, man. Like I've been around sports my whole life. You know, you got to go and do things and learn things. Tom Brady didn't just walk in and, and was Tom Brady. I mean, no. he went through some painful times. He had to learn how to play the position and how to be a pro and, and Josh Allen will do the same thing. And I, I I'm, I'm with you. I think Daryl Johnson's got ton, tons of upside. No, you're talking about this older defensive end room, as Jeremy touched on, the three players over 30. So that really leads you to the spot where you have Mario Addison, you have Trent Murphy, you have Jerry Hughes. Do you think that it's a possibility that the Bills are going to be moving on from Trent Murphy, whether it's via a trade or a release in the near future? Yeah, it's a tough question. And I, I think Trent Murphy is going to be on the roster until they have a better alternative. You know, you, a lot of people talked all offseason about the Yannick Ngakwe trade and how how that could possibly uh, be orchestrated by Brandon Bean. Well, the problem with that now is, yeah, you could probably do it financially, but do you have the draft cap capital after the Diggs trade? And do you want to give up more draft capital uh, for, for an organization and a front office that really believes in building the draft? I don't see it. Not only that, you look at Yannick Ngakwe the last four years, He's got two less sacks than the guy you just brought in in Mario Addison. Uh, so obviously he's a little bit older, but you know, I get, I think you get my point. Trent Murphy was great in that Houston Texans game last year uh, or earlier this year. I thought that, you know, while he didn't have a, a very consistent season, he showed when, when it mattered the most and when the team really counted on him, he came in and he stepped up two sacks in a big spot against an elite offense and elite quarterback. I think that you can rely on that and maybe they restructure if they need a couple million uh, yeah. here or there. And, and, you know, Brandon Bean always likes a couple extra million going into the season in case he wants to make a move. But right now they're sitting at, I think around 22 million before the draft. They'll need about 4 million for the rookies. Um, they still got plenty of room. I, I think Trent Murphy earned himself that final year with the way that he played in that Houston game, I think. Um, but it's always an, it's always a it's a it's a fluid situation. What's the best option we have, and do I have a better one? Right now, they don't. I think Trent Murphy makes perfect sense as a rotational piece on this defensive line. No, and, and speaking about Mario Addison, obviously we let a guy in Shaq Lawson who's actually six years mm -hmm. his younger walk, and they they almost got very close, almost close to identical contracts. But right. I I think 
as a solid player, and I've always said Shaq Lawson is a very solid football player. He may not be the pass rusher that you're looking for at, at that at the 17th pick where we took him, but at the end of the day, Mario Addison is one of those older guys, and I put him in that, that element of uh, Michael Bennett. He's still around. He's still playing because he's a, prof- a professional pass rusher. This is a guy, it doesn't matter if he's 35 years old, he knows how to rush the quarterback. He knows how to stay in sync with the rest of his defensive line. And I think this is a guy that, once again, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are comfortable with. And as we've seen, they brought multiple guys from the Carolina Panthers over the last three or four years, which is, this is not a new trend. This is something that's been going on since the days of Bill Parcells, of bringing your own guys in, um, that they're comfortable with. And the same thing goes with Darrell Williams, and we're going to touch the offensive linemen too going forward. But are people making too much of, Calling the Bills the Buffalo Panthers and these and Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott bringing their guys they're comfortable with. Yeah, I was actually talking to Dean Marlowe about this on Friday. I got a chance to catch up with him a little bit, and I, I think that they want guys whether they're from Carolina or that they figure out in in terms of doing their due diligence and talking to other people that have the kind of makeup that's going to fit in this locker room because one of the big like feels in this locker room and Dean was talking about it is you got to play for the guy next to you just as much as you play for yourself in this locker room like, it, that's how you know this team has flourished is that they all kind of are on the same page when it comes to going out there and playing for each other and I think that you know when they bring in all these Carolina guys they've proven that and and from that perspective you know a lot of these guys go back to that 2015 team that went to the Super Bowl you know the, Dean has a point they know how to win they know how to buy in. They know how to be uh, on a team that, you know, is more than about, you know, stats and uh, their contracts and their numbers and this and that. And I'm not saying Jordan Phillips and Shaq, Shaq Lawson weren't that. I was beyond impressed with Shaq Lawson in terms of the way that he bought in to the process over the last three years. And and really, if he ever was a me guy, uh, which I've only known him the last two years I've covered the team, he wasn't when he walked out of here. He did everything that Sean McDermott asked him to do. I mean, I even talked to him at different points last season trying to, you know, get his thoughts on different things. And he stayed right on track with, you know, the the company line. And so, and that's what they want. They want guys that, you know, when you do, when you go that route and almost a little bit like LaShawn McCoy, which I think they put up with a little bit, when you go that route, you take the, the spotlight away from the team and you place it on yourself. And Correct. that's not what Sean McDermott's all about. And so I think – that's where this whole Buffalo Panthers thing is. I think that's why Brian, Brian Flores is going out and trying to get Patriots because mm-hmm. he knows that, you know, if I get those guys in my room, they're going to set my culture for me. And so Sean McDermott relies on Star Latoule and Dean Marlowe, and now it will be Josh Norman and Mario Addison to, to you know, be an extension of him in the room. He walked in and he got a, 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 a gift wrap guy in Lorenzo Alexander that, you know, he was already there and he can be one of those guys for him. But now you got to replace that. And an interesting thought I have, and, you know, in terms of replacing Shaq Lawson, I think it's going to be a combination of Addison as an edge and Quentin Jefferson. But I also think that, that Addison is going to play a little bit of the Lorenzo role as well. Uh-huh. Uh, he has some, um, he has some mobility. He can kind of rush from the inside at times too. So can Quentin Jefferson. Uh-huh. And I think that, what they like about both of those guys is that they're a little bit in, interchangeable when it comes to that. And that's one thing that, you know, I think has been under um, discussed this off season is while he only had two and a half sacks. I mean, Lorenzo Alexander still 
know, had to be accounted for as a pass rusher when he was on the field. So, you know, they've added a couple guys that can kind of, you know, rush the passer. And even AJ Klein, if you go back and watch some of his tape, when he was asked to do it in New Orleans, uh, he did it pretty well. So this could be a different, I think this could be a top 10 pass rushing defense in, in 2020, which is also exciting. Yeah. The one thing I noticed about the main players that you're talking about with the Carolina, with the Carolina uh, bills or B- Buffalo Panthers or however people want to say it nowadays, <laughs> you talk about the three players that we really focus on. There's only one on the offensive side of the ball, uh, Josh Norman aside, you're talking about Vernon Butler, Mario Addison and AJ Klein. And those are three positions where you had to replace Shaq Lawson, Jordan Phillips and Lorenzo Alexander, all players that, played significant roles on that defense and really the one thing the the way I think of it the way it strikes me is that they're trying to not decline on that side of the ball they sign guys that they can trust in playing in that role in the defense so that the defense doesn't have decline and that players around them can also make plays do you think this defense is going to show any signs of decline or if it's are they going to keep up with their top three rating that they've held on to the last two seasons I think they're positioned to be a better defense in 2020 with the additions. Now, how they integrate them in and how they um, respond to their jobs and what they're asked to do, we'll find out. Josh Norman has always been the guy, and now he's going to be fighting for a starting job. Uh, I think that I would give him the edge over Levi Wallace just because, man, anytime you bring in a guy that that had an all-pro year under a coach like Sean McDermott, I think that that – carry some weight. And so I think that Josh Norman, they believe and D Marlowe, actually, I, I just talked to him on Friday. So of course it's fresh in my mind, but he played with Josh Norman uh, in, in uh, Carolina. And he said, and I asked him like, what do you think? Does he have anything left in the take? And he's like, he's got a whole lot left in the take. This is a system. He knows like the back of his hand It's where he was the best in his career. He's going to come in day one and add something to this defense. So if he's even, you know, if he even finds a, a middle ground between where he was in Washington, where he was in Carolina. If he could be at the, in the middle somewhere, I think that's an upgrade over Levi Wallace, as good as Wallace has been at times uh, over the last two years. Um, and then you got Levi Wallace as a depth piece. EJ Gaines, if he could stay healthy. You're talking about now with the best, maybe arguably the best safety duo in the league. How good is that secondary? I just don't see a way where you have also Tremaine Edmonds taking a step in the year three where he's probably going to be an absolute monster and probably more involved in the pass rush this year as well. You know, this, this, this has all the makings of, you know, a really elite top three defense and not just statistically, but I'm talking about like taking the ball away, potentially scoring points uh, that John McDermott, that, that's why you go out and get a defensive coach to build the defense the right way. And now they're, they're sitting here ahead of year four and they have all the pieces in place. No, definitely. I agree. And I think Quentin Jefferson is a name that I'm ecstatic about. Um, mm-hmm. If people want to go back to his week one performance versus the Bengals when everybody was hyped up about Jadavian Clowney's uh, debut with Seattle, or I'm sorry, the week that Jadavian Clowney came there, Quentin Jefferson stole the show. This is a very right. underrated pass rusher. And I think Clayton put out a stat this week where he was like <laughs> fifth in the league or sixth in the league in pass rush percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, but the numbers when the number the sack numbers weren't there to translate. But he, this guy, this guy is a very interchangeable piece, and I can't wait till we get. And I talked the other night on the on the um, the <laughs> Buffalo Brothers show where I think Jefferson is going to be your third, yeah, your third and long DT now, and that's versatility. That's something that they tried to do with Shaq a few times last year as well. One hundred percent, man, and he can do. There's so many combinations that they can run uh, with this defensive line. I think there's going to be times when you see. 
Q and Ed Oliver out there together, Vern Butler and, 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 and Ed Oliver together, and, and maybe even Quentin and Vernon out there together. Um, it, that's what makes Sean McDermott's defense so unique is the uh, number of combinations that he can throw at you. And now they're, they're really set up to, to do that. And there's some other pieces that, you know, you forget about Harrison Phillips, even if he's, you know, I don't think there can be an expectation. He's going to pick up where he left off coming off another ACL. It's going to take him some time to get himself back into playing shape. And uh, especially without the off season programs, it's going to be tough, but man, that's another talented player that, you know, can play one tech can play three tech. So um, plenty of options. And um, you know, I'm, I'm excited for, for Jefferson too. Uh, him and him and Oliver dialing it up a little bit with Addison and Hughes on the edge. I mean, that could be a, a really fierce pass rush there. And, and, and they, they really rely on those four man fronts to when they can get pressure. I think that's when the bills become really an elite defense is, you know, cause what are you going to do? I mean, how are you going to attack the, you really can only attack one side of the field because of that Tredavious white on the, on the right side. And then you got those safeties that are disguising everything. And, and now I'll, I'll, I'll Oh, by the way, we have an, a crazy pass rush in our mouth, depending <laughs> on who the quarterback is. And look around this division. Sam Darnold, uh, Mr. Ghosts himself. Uh, <laughs> we don't even know who the quarterback in Miami is. Right. Brian Hoyer could be leading. The, the, it's crazy times in the AFC East. And they, they've done a good job of putting some pieces in place on this D-line to take advantage of maybe some lower-level QB play in the division now. The one interesting thing about the defensive tackle room specifically is they have five guys, really. I understand Jefferson's a hybrid. He can really play either the four or the five or anywhere along the interior. But you're talking about a defensive tackle room consisting of Latuli, uh, Harrison Phillips, Ed Oliver, Jefferson, and then Vernon Butler as well. They didn't really – they didn't suit up five defensive tackles at any point last season, uh, to my recollection. Right. Why do you feel that – do you feel like this is because of the Harrison Phillips injury and the uncertainty of how he could bounce back? Or do you feel like this is just them loading up their arsenal to improve that run defense that while they improved on the second half of the season last year, they don't want to see that run defense drop off along the interior again? From what I watched of Seattle, um, Jefferson played a lot uh, on the edge. So I think that they may see him as an edge player with some ability to move inside. Um, while I still think that he could play a Jordan Phillips role, uh, I think I'm not thinking of it in terms of four D, D ends and four D tackles. I think that there's so many hybrids now here that it's about getting the best eight or nine on the field. Cause I think there's a few games where they had five edges and that was in the preseason. I can't remember, but either way, it's going to be a, a fire competition in, in, in training camp and preseason, because, you know, all these guys, you know, there's, there's you're talking about Daryl Johnson and, and Mike Love and even Harrison Phillips not making the roster because of the additions that they've made. So um, that's what they want. That's what they built this up to be because competition breeds, um, you know, uh, success on the field. At least that's what they believe. Right. I compare this team to Seattle and what they were doing a lot. And that's what they're doing here in Buffalo with Pete Carroll got to Seattle. Hey, your position's always on the line. Don't get comfortable. And I think that's the same mantra they're having here. Um, but, with that, they're keeping the Eagles in check, whereas Seattle kind of let the Eagles get out of control and pretty much it didn't implode the team, but it stopped the Super Bowl runs, essentially. But, you know, speaking of off alignment and the Buffalo Panthers, as people want to call it, we brought in another mm-hmm. Buffalo Panther this week, um, and Daryl Williams, and a lot of people are calling this a depth signing, which I totally disagree with. I think Daryl Williams, and, a health, and if he's a healthy Daryl Williams, is in town to start at right tackle. Um, 
let's talk about Daryl Williams, his impact, why they're bringing him in, what he was in Carolina before the injuries, and also how what what kind of effect could this have on Ty Inseki, Cody Fort, and Feliciano while we're in the, talking about competition. Yeah, so uh, when this move happened and I first really started thinking about the possibilities because I really thought that Daryl Williams was going to be a target from, you know, back in February. It just makes sense. They they were kind of in on him last year a little bit uh, before he signed back in Carolina. Um, but my first thought was, and we'll see how it plays out, is that this gives them the, the option to move forward inside the guard and then maybe do another time split uh, timeshare at right ta- tackle with Inseki and Williams. Williams uh, had a timeshare at left tackle last year in Carolina uh, with the rookie, uh, forgetting his name. Um, uh, Moten, right? Was it Taylor? No, it was Little. Little, okay. Little, okay. Little, okay. Greg Little, yep. Okay. And so he, he had a couple games where he was kind of uh, in the timeshare there. So I think that's what they can do because I think Ty Inseki really, it's crazy to think about, but if you go back and really dive into the tape last year, I think you'll find that Ty Inseki, when he was on the field, was the best tackle on the Bills roster. And so if they can get him on the field and healthy for whatever amount of time that is, that's when you have your optimal offensive line. So if that means, okay, Daryl Williams is is two years removed from a knee injury that completely changed his career. He didn't look like the same guy last year, but, oh, he also started 12 games at four different positions, and they were – and. The, and the one position where he he won all pro at right tackle, they only played him there one time last year, one game. So they didn't they from people I've talked to in Carolina, he was kind of set up to fail last year. They had some rookies okay. they wanted to get some playing time. And so I think what the Bills think they probably can do, bring him here, give him a chance to, you know, play at right tackle or wherever else they feel like he can play, give him one job. And, and that's what you saw last year. Like, you know, while Feliciano and Spencer Long, they had some position flexibility. They put him in a few places early on. Once the season started, they knew where they were going to go. And, and so I think that, you know, Daryl Williams is a guy that could come in here, has chops at right tackle. And I agree with you. I think this was a move for a guy that's going to compete for a starting job. You know, you touched on him being set up for failure in Carolina last year. And to kind of put that into perspective, it's very similar to the situation Deion Dawkins had to deal with in 2018 with the players right. around him, whether it was Ducasse, Teller, Groy, or Bodine. But sticking with Darrell Williams and kind of the competition, I, when you talk about moving Cody Ford on the inside, because then at that point you're talking about four of the five positions you're locked down for multi-years. You're talking about right. from left tackle to right guard, you're locked down uh, aside from Darrell Williams. So that really tells me that John Feliciano seems to be the odd man out. Do you think if the starting lineup turns out to be, or whether they have a rotation at right tackle with Nsecki and Williams, do you feel like if if John Feliciano loses that competition to Cody Ford at right guard, if he is possibly going to be moved for a trade? No, um, because I think he's earned a little bit more in the room than that. Like I think those are the kind of guys you move, like 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 Russell Bodine and Wyatt Teller. They didn't really mean anything. They they weren't leaders in the room. Feliciano completely, completely set the tone on that offensive line last year. The physicality, the toughness, the nasty. Like, Bobby Johnson brought that as a mentality, but it was John Feliciano that was leading the charge in terms of executing that mentality on the field. So there's still that kind of mindset where I think he pushes guys. Uh, It's going to be tough to take that right guard job away from him. The one chance that I think anybody will have is that he's coming off of a – Rotator cuff surgery, Exactly. So that could take uh, some time. 
And I think that they want to get Cody Ford some looks inside and wherever that ends up being, which, dude, this league can change in a moment's notice. And whatever the case may be, it could be Deion Dawkins going down week one, and you have to completely shuffle the deck. And all of a sudden, if you traded John Feliciano back in preseason, well, what do you do now? You, you, you move Daryl Williams to left tackle. You got Ty and Saki, you move him there. Uh, what you know, Your options are limited. And if you have to move somebody from the interior, you don't have that depth anymore. You have Spencer Long, and then after that, you know, the talent level drops quite a bit. I think having two Long and, and Feliciano as your two interior depth pieces, both can play center and both guard spots, man, and that is invaluable depth that I don't think that, you know, they take for granted. And you talk about uh, things changing in a minute. I believe there was a game last year. I forgot which game it was, but Morse went down, and then I think Feliciano or Fort went down two play, two or three plays later. But the the, the latter of them came back. Morse stayed out the game completely. But there right. was a point in time where we did we did have to replace two in one game. So, like you said, I think going back to seeing if a situational football in an event like that happen, they're being prepared for all for everything. Because let's be honest about it with the with the. The trade for Stefan Diggs with the draft capital we have, we still have pretty good draft capital for what kind of team we have, and we have pretty solid cap space remaining. This is a for Super sure. Bowl caliber team, especially with the way the, the uncertainty of the AFC East. It's so funny, like because of the city that this is and the history, and, and not just the twenty-year or you know almost twenty-year playoff drought, but the four Super Bowl losses. Like it's hard to. For this city, I think it, it's almost like you kind of look with one eye shut. Like, you know, <laughs> you're kind of scared to really buy in completely because of the history. But yeah, man, this is this is a Super Bowl caliber team. I think that there's a significant Super Bowl window that's opening now. Does Josh Allen have to take another step next year? Of course. Do all these pieces have to mesh together? Does Brian Dable have to be even better next year? I'm not a Dable hater. I know that there's a lot out there. I'm actually – I think that he's done a pretty nice job in developing a pretty raw quarterback in Josh Allen through two years, but you know uh, that's a whole separate conversation. I think all the pieces are in place. You have your elite defense with not only your head coach, but maybe arguably the best defensive coordinator in the NFL in Leslie Frazier. I mean, what a luxury that is to have. That guy should be a head coach somewhere for sure. Thank you. Um, Appreciate that. But <laughs> – no, 100%. And honestly, JT, if anybody disputes that, they don't know what they're talking about. And you should turn off that video or X out of that article immediately. Leslie Frazier, man, he's been around his league. Look him up. He was doing this a long time. Yeah. Go ahead, Clayton. Well, I mean, you were talking about Josh Allen taking the next step. You touched on it. Now, we all know the circumstances that are going on right now. Off-season, OTAs are being cut into. All, all sorts of things are being canceled and what have you. And we you know you touched on an earlier point. Who knows if we'll even have a training camp. Right. Do you feel like this could potentially hurt the meshing? Do you, do you think this could potentially hurt the chemistry and possibly lead to growing pains in the early portion of the season? I definitely think it could hurt the way that they want to implement digs to this offense because – I think for better or for worse, they definitely established an identity in the later half of the season last year with the playmakers and pieces that were in place on offense. And I also think that what's so important for Josh is the reps, mental reps, the physical reps. And the more that he loses, 
the worse off he's going to be no matter what. And that doesn't, that's not saying that he's going to be bad per se, or, or he can't be good, but you want all that. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens here. I mean, I saw the story that, you know, Kirk Herbstreit put out, uh, he was yeah. doing a show and said that he doesn't think there's going to be football at all next year. It's like, man, I mean, we could be facing that kind of reality, but you know, even if it's not to that extent, if, if there's some type of, you know, shortened off season or um, preseason or um, training camp, whatever the case may be. Yeah. I think that that there could be lingering uh, effects there, but the one good thing that you have going for you, you're not Baker Mayfield with another new offensive coordinator and another new head coach. You're not Sam Darnold with Adam Gase. You're not a rookie quarterback in Miami potentially with, you know, a, an offensive staff that you got to learn for the first time. You're Josh Allen with the same, offensive coordinator and head coach for your third season. So there's nothing new. They, he's, he knows where they're going to run. He knows the playbook. Uh, it's just about getting in sync with Stefan Diggs. And maybe that can happen somehow uh, if social distancing is, is, is at some point um, not required anymore for them to kind of link up separately and figure things out on their own. Right. So we'll take a couple of fan questions and we'll wrap this up. And if anybody's wondering about social distancing and Josh Allen, he is in quarantine with Sam Darnold in California. Just, just letting yes, you guys sir. know, just keep being informed, whatever we can. Uh, Ronald Enix asks, hey, Matt, do you see us picking up a running back in free agency? And I think maybe he's looting to the fact that we were in on possibly Melvin Gordon, but we also contacted Carlos Hyde and Devontae Freeman, whose price was kind of high. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's certainly a possibility they they uh, they added TJ Yeldon right before the draft last year and that's another kind of uh, potential move they can make with some of the guys out there. One name that's still out there, I believe, I've been kind of off the grid the last couple of days. Um, Chris Thompson, I think, is okay. an interesting, intriguing kind of option, uh, pass catcher out of the backfield. Uh, but man, I'm telling you, like I stood there and talked to Sean McDermott in Indianapolis a few weeks ago. And there is a level of belief in TJ Yeldon that I don't think Bills fans are really grasping. They, they like this dude. I think, I think there was something going on last year where there was such a reverence for Frank Gore, the future Hall of Famer, this, this unbelievable locker room guy that they just felt kind of, uh, I think, forced to you know keep him in uniform. But I think in, in any other circumstance, TJ Yeldon probably would have got a little bit more opportunities. And when he was given opportunities, I thought he played pretty well. And so we'll see. I, I think he's in the mix. I think they could add a running back in the draft. Uh, but I definitely think they could still add a, take a late flyer in free agency. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, we'll take two more questions that we got here. We have one more question from Cody Wells. Matt, do you think that they can carry more than six active receivers on game day, especially if possibly drafting one this year? Hey, we have the extra I had a, uh, roster spot this year, two of them. So. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think so. And I think that you know this offense could change now with uh digs in, in you know in here and what's the future with a patrick marco i know they love that guy in the room and they and they do use the fullback more than most teams but that's always another potential you know talking point as we move through training camp and preseason is do they finally move on from the from the fullback that's another spot to look at but you know i think that man you got perhaps the best trio of receivers in the afc afc maybe the NFL when it's all said and done, you're going to want to get the ball to those three guys. So I think dressing five receivers on most weeks probably makes a lot of sense. And I think Stefan Diggs, listen, you gave up four picks to get him. You're paying him 12 million a year. You're, that dude better be getting 10 targets a week. 
Minimum. And best believe he's going to be asking for more. He's come. These receivers are getting 20 a year now. So he's Stephon's going to be knocking on that Mr. Bean's door after the season. And like, hey, <laughs> yeah, show me some love, man. Uh, and uh, hey, I'll tell you, they'll probably they'll probably hit, they'll probably make it make it worth his while because you know if he can come in here and really change the you know giving them that next level of of playmaker, I mean, he should get paid, man. Yeah. And one last question is um, from Ron. Who do you see Christian Wade doing his thing? There's been a lot of mystery about Christian <laughs> Wade, especially after the preseason runs he had last year. I mean, that's is, my man, dude. That's my man, Christian Wade. Is, is there a I shot? Uh, okay, I, let me let me back this up. I love that dude. <laughs> like, I love his story. I love his determination. I love who he is as a as a person and as a player. I just think that what you need to have at your disposal to be an, on an NFL game day roster is so complex and deep for a guy that just started learning football like about a year ago. It's a big ass to say that he's going to be at the, at the level that he needs to be at. We're talking about blitz, blitz pickups, uh, pass protection, um, you know, just, just little things, how you, how you take the football away from the quarterback and, and you know, handoff situations. There's so many things that he's still learning. And sometimes he's even told me sometimes he'll do something right. And he didn't even know he did it right. You know what I mean? So he's so talented and so gifted, but I think you just need to pump the brakes on that expectation. Now, can he go to training camp and, you know, could he take this whole off season and really hit the books and study tape and do all that and get to a point? Sure. Anything's possible. I mean, we've seen crazier things happen. I just don't think anybody should be banking on it. I don't think it's fair to him. Number one, first and foremost, I don't think it's fair to him. And I just think it's like, let's let this slow play out. He's got one more year where he could be on the exempt list, go through another year learning the game. And he's still going to be under 30 uh, before 2021. And that's really where I'm targeting is a real potential for him to, if he's going to make it, that's when I'm kind of more looking at the window there than maybe necessarily this going into this year. Makes sense. Makes sense. Hey, so we're going to get ready to wrap this up. Hey, Clayton, final thoughts, and we get to our guest, Matt, and the shout-outs and all this good stuff that we do at the end of the show. Yeah, you know, I mean, Matt, thank you for uh, taking time and coming on the show. It was an excellent show. You know, we have tons of great insight. And to all the fans out there watching, you know, stay safe, stay healthy. Be sure to wash your hands and use your hand sanitizer and practice social distancing. And if you are sick, self-quarantine and quarantine anyone that's been around you. But, you know, it, it's been crazy times, but hopefully the bill, you know, we have a draft coming up here soon. They didn't push it back. They didn't cancel it or anything. There's plenty of coverage out there. There's plenty of coverage from us. And surely, Matt, where, Matt, can you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, man. Well, first off, thank you for having me on. This is a fun time. I always love uh, chopping up with you guys. Uh, I've done Clayton's podcast. Been second time on the on the actual cold front report, yeah. so thanks for having me on. <laughs> uh, no, they can uh, they can get me at nyupsyracuse.com. Those are my, where all our work is. Uh, me and my man Ryan uh, Talbot uh, have you covered throughout free agency leading up to the draft. And I'm at Matt Perino on Twitter, which is uh, the best place to follow me. Yeah, definitely shout to our guy Ryan Talbot, the man with the greatest beard in the game. Love Talbot's beard. Oh, yeah. Love Talbot's beard. Greatest, greatest beard in the game and, and you know, some of the greatest uh, weight loss in the game right now. He's down like yeah. 30, yeah. 40, 50 pounds, I think. Like he's getting after in the gym. So respect him, my man. Quarantine and fitness. Love it, Talbot. Love you, man. <laughs> oh, is. but yeah, thanks, Matt. We really want to appreciate you coming on. Like I said, we get a lot of insight from Matt. I follow what Matt does literally 
every day, especially in the off season. So uh, that's where I get a lot of my information from. And uh, said once again, thank you for coming on, giving us that great insight. Um, guys, season's coming quick. I mean, it, it, it's it. This off season didn't drag because this team was actually really good this year. So it was a lot mm-hmm. of excitement coming. Hopefully, there's a football season. But like the piggyback off Clayton, please just be safe, stay home, follow the guidelines. Let's just get through this thing so we can get the football. Because God knows if we don't have football, what are we gonna do? <laughs> All right, I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, but once again, thank you to our special guest Matt Perino. His Twitter handle is right next to him. Go shoot him a follow. Maybe he'll throw you a Trey White jersey or something. Uh, but, guys, we're out of here. Thank you guys for tuning into the Cold Front Report as usual. And once again, please just stay safe, keep your family safe, and do what they tell you to do.